you could buy a 10 unit, 20 unit, a little more time, you could buy a 50 unit or so it, it can be a little more, I don't want to say necessarily frustrating, but nerve wracking. Cause if you're yeah. trying to raise $2 million to buy this property and you're like, Oh, where's the money coming from? I, we don't have any of our money lined up ahead of time. We just know if we have a good deal, the money will find us. So we have an investor list that we've been building up over the years. You're listening to The Azria Show. If you're looking for quality real estate investing information that you can trust, you've found it. Stay tuned and join the tens of thousands of members that have already benefited from Azria, your home for education, market information, support, and networking opportunities that will advance your real estate investing career. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of The Azria Show. We pray that you guys are doing great. You're doing well. We pray that your investments are going well. And if you haven't started, what are you waiting for? You need to come to Azria so you can definitely get the education that you need in order to get started. So with that being said, I want to introduce you to Mike Delpreet, our executive director of Azria. Hello, hello. How are you doing today, Mike? I'm wonderful, man. Glad to be here. Glad to talk with Anthony about multifamily right now. All right. So my, so Mike led us into what we're going to be talking about. We're going to be talking about apartments and multifamily investing. And we have none other than Anthony Chara with us today who has owned over 2000 units. So this is a great person to learn from. So Anthony, how are you doing today, sir? Hey, Marcus, I'm doing fantastic. And thanks for having me on today. Okay. Well, Give us a little background, man. Where do you hail from and how did you really get started with investing? Because a lot of people hear 2,000 doors and that seems really unrealistic for them. You know, they're trying to figure out how can I get this one house, let alone 2,000. So kind of take us back to the infancy stage where you first got started. What did that look like? Well, it, it certainly wasn't pretty, but it you know, the part of it is the main part is you have to take action. So uh, if you had told me back in the early 90s that I'd owned 2000 doors, I would have said no way as well, because it does seem daunting. But again, you just have to get educated and then take that first step. So I started way back in 1993. My wife and I decided to sell while well, we were going to sell our primary residence. Then we decided that rather than sell it, we'd get into the investment property foray because we had heard that something like 86 or 87% of all millionaires either made their money in real estate or hold a majority of their wealth in real estate. So why reinvent the wheel? So we bought a new house and turned our very first house into a rental property. And then for about 10 years, all we knew to do from 93 to about 2003 was buy and rent. We didn't know that you could do wholesaling, didn't know you could do fix and flipping, they had never even thought about buying apartment buildings. So we did that for about 10 years and then met a, our first mentor, a gentleman named Robert Allen. And Robert yeah. Allen was, you probably have heard of him. He, he, his claim to fame was a book that he wrote about no money down, which he wrote mm -hmm. back in the seventies. And we became one of his protégés. We spent, I think it was 4,000 bucks to get all these little training classes and things like that. And we learned that you could become independently, well, financially independent if you invested in real estate. We were kind of already on that path, but going to his classes kind of expanded our minds and we started doing more creative stuff. One of the first deals that I did 
is literally having somebody who was in distress, but not taking advantage of them. They literally handed me the keys to their house and said, thank you very much and walked away. Wait, 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 wait. (laughs) So you basically starting out, you found somebody in distress and they just literally said, here, take over my problem. You figure it out and I'll walk away. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. It was a husband and wife. And one of the things that you need to do is when you do get into creative real estate or investment real estate, you need to let people know that what you're doing, because we had a a family friend who knew what my wife and I were doing. And she was sitting at lunch with a coworker and the coworker was getting all teary eyed talking about her son and his wife that are now getting a divorce. And she decided the wife decided that she was going to pack up the kid and move back to Texas. And here he is sitting in this house by himself that he knew he couldn't afford. So he packed everything up and moved home with mom and dad. And his house is sitting vacant and it's about to go into foreclosure. And as soon as my friend heard this, she's like, hey, I know somebody that might be able to help. So she called me up and said, hey, Anthony, here's what's going on. Can you help? And I said, sure, because my philosophy is you always say yes until there's a reason to say no. So I said, yeah, that's good. That's good. I, I like that. There's always a reason to say yes until there's a reason to say no. Right. Love it. Love it. And, and speaking of Robert Allen, I think I even have like his books all over here. But what I love what he said and exactly what you did is you need to find a don't wanter. Yep. Right. Yep. And, and what's a don't wanter in your scenario here? Yeah. Well, this was a don't wanter because he knew that he couldn't afford the house by himself. Mm-hmm. So the friend, so it was kind of funny because when I, I told her, like I said, my, my first option is to say yes until I have a reason to say no. So I said yes, took down the mother's name and phone number, hung up the phone. I went, oh crap, what do I do now? Mm-hmm. So all I did, it, was, it, it turned out to be simple, but it was scary to take that first step. I just went back to my notes that I, and the stuff that I had learned from Robert Allen. And I went through the whole process. Is it in an area that I want to buy it? What's it worth? How much is left on the mortgage? You know, all all these different steps. And went out to walk through the house the next day with her. I actually called her up to set up an appointment or see if I could get her son's information. She said no, because he's working, but she could meet me out at the house. So I went out and looked at the house and I walked in and this thing could have been a model home. It was that nice. Wow. And literally when they moved out, they even took the dirt with them. I mean, they cleaned everything. It was spotless, wow. moving ready. And I said, okay, I want it. So I, I just, I'll make the story short. I knew that it was worth what it was worth. There was a little bit, maybe $15,000, dollars of equity. And it was about a $240,000 house in, in a really nice middle-class neighborhood at four bedrooms, four bathrooms, 3,000 square feet. So it was a two-story with a full finished basement. And I'm literally walking through. I I had my notepad and everything ready to go. I didn't take a single note about anything that I needed to do because there was nothing to do to the property. And I called the person. I said, look, I like the house. What do you want to do? And he said, I just want to be done with it. Okay. And those were his exact words. I said, okay, here's what I can do. I can step into your shoes and take over your mortgage payments. And you don't have to worry about it from this day going forward. Because I I know that you've missed your January payment. You're about to miss your February payment. His lender had already told him that if he didn't pay by February 15th, they were going to start foreclosure. And he said, great, I just want to be done with it. Okay. So the first time I met him was at the bank where his notary signed a quit claim deed. I I didn't do it right the first time, completely right. 
He signed mm-hmm. a quick claim deed over that and I did that to his future ex-wife. She signed the quick claim deed, sent it back to me, recorded it the next day, made the January payment, made the February payment. This was way back in 2004 and have been making the payments ever since. So, wow. so there's, there's a few things there to chew on. And if you guys are truly listening, you can hear that Anthony's first deal was a creative finance deal. That's amazing because a lot of people can't figure out all the nuances and the moving pieces of a creative finance deal. One of the things that I do like that you said is you didn't get hung up on trying to figure everything out. You said, what's the problem? What's the solution that you can try and come up with? And let's get into this and then just figure it out along the way. So you found this person. For one, guys, listen to what Anthony said. He said, he let everybody know what he was doing. They knew what him and his wife was doing. Mm-hmm. So that's that's key number one. You got to get out there. You got to let everybody know exactly what you're doing. Anthony, just real quick, and this is maybe a little off topic, but how did you and you and your wife become symbiotic? Because you know sometimes one person may want to do real estate, and the other spouse may say, "No, you just stick to the nine to five. We're living good." So how how did that conversation happen? Yeah, that's a great question because my wife and I had a conversation way back in 1997 because my job was literally killing me. It was making me sick and tired. I actually, because of all the flying that I was doing for my employer, I had actually developed claustrophobia on a flight from Denver to Las Vegas. Wow. And it was nuts. So from that point forward, anytime I got an airplane, I felt nauseated for two or three hours during the flight. And it was terrible, but it, and then <laughs> a little more detail, it took two years for my doctors to diagnose that it was claustrophobia because for two years, they thought I had an ulcer. I was 24 years old. They thought I had an ulcer wow. because, because of how my stomach felt the whole time. And it was finally me that figured it out because it only bothered me when I was on a crowded plane, a crowded bus, a crowded church, a crowded movie theater, a crowded train you know, crowded plane, anything that was crowded where I felt cramped or or trapped. Mm -hmm. And so I told my gastroenterologist, could this be in my head? And he's like, well, yeah, it could be. (laughs) (laughs) So I spent two years with not really knowing what it was. And finally, when I figured out what it was, it was a little bit easier for me to deal with it. And then fast forward another 20 years, and as quickly as it happened on a flight, it was almost completely gone after another flight. But in between, right, I'm, I'm just dying getting on these airplanes. And so what I did is I went to my wife and I said, look, I can't, I can't keep doing this. It's killing me. I had just received this huge promotion at work. I, was, I had a million dollar budget. It was with a company called Bell & Howell. I had 10 technicians in four states or no, 13 technicians in four states. I had a million dollar budget. They did a complete reorganization of our company. And they told me I was one of the lucky ones because I got to keep my job. I ended up with 35 technicians in seven states. They tripled my budget to $3 million. And now I'm back on the road again, going from Colorado, New Mexico, the north half of Texas or north half, Dallas North, Oak and Oklahoma and Wyoming. And it's like, oh, this is, it, it's gonna, this is not what I want. And so I sat down with my wife and I said, look, this is not working out here. And so we had this conversation about how uh, our lives, and, and I, I'll, I'll probably draw this at some time when I'm there next month on the board, but basically what people do is, right, you, for most people like me, it was, here's your job, 
And then you revolve around your job. So all of your vacation time, when you go to work, when you go home, your lunchtime, all that stuff revolves around your job. So what we decided to do in 1997 is we flipped that and we decided what lifestyle did we want? And now we were going to create businesses that rotated around our lifestyle. And so that's that's really when things started taking off in the real estate world. And of course, it, it, it exploded even more in the early 2000s when I met Robert Allen and went from there and then started the apartment investing in the mid 2000s. So that was kind of how we evolved from it. We, I, you know, I went to my wife and I said, look, I can't do this. And she realized that it, if I'm not happy in my job and I'm not healthy, then that's going to shorten both of our lives as well. So uh, she was on board with it. She understood it. And even though we do real estate investing, it's still me that does most of it because that's not generally her focus. Usually what happens is when we find a deal and we'll talk about it, but I'll find about find it, I'll show it to her. And then she'll either give it the thumbs up or the thumbs down based on her feedback. Love it. Perfect. So Perfect. I guess in, re- in reality, what I'm saying is I work for her because I'm doing the work <laughs> and then she's just, you know, the CEO that decides if, if we're Love going it. forward or not. You know what that's awesome. called, Anthony, from a male's perspective? It's called marriage. <laughs> <laughs> we yes, always yes. work for work for the wife. Mike, you got a question? Yeah, no, I'm just saying. So now, you know, you went through the single family. I'm assuming those are a single. Your first deal was a single family. Right. And then you said, you now you said you're leading up to the 2004 range. You did Robert Allen and then you got into multifamily. So maybe you could just kick off like, what is multifamily to you? I mean, why, you know, what made that transition from single family to multifamily? Well, can I I jump in real quick? I'm sorry, Anthony, because Mike, I don't want you to gloss over because Anthony could have went out there and tried to do this on his own and tried to figure it out because he is a smart guy. Why did you decide to find a mentor? Well, so I, I do consider myself to be a smart guy, but I also, because I'm, I'm smart and most of your investors there at Azri are probably smart, you, you also don't know what you don't know. And I knew that I didn't know what I didn't know. So I knew that I wanted to get into real estate investing, but I didn't necessarily know how to make that transition. So that's one of the reasons I ended up at the Robert Allen event is because I we wanted to get into the real estate investing. And we started with baby steps. We started with single family homes. And of course, back then, I didn't even have any interest at all in apartments because I never even, it just never even crossed my brain. Mm-hmm. But through his organization, I actually met another gentleman, a gentleman named George Antone, which you guys might've heard of. And George and I started partnering. We were the original apartment mentors way back in the early 2000s, like 2004, 2005. And one of the reasons we started with apartments is because we wanted to to teach people. This is back when real estate was really hot before the market crashed in 2006 Mm -hmm. and 2007. Mm -hmm. And we saw what everybody else was doing with the training classes and stuff like that. So we thought, number one, we'd create, as Robert Allen says, multiple streams of income, and we'd start up our own training classes. So George and I got together, we started brainstorming. We did one quick little class on finding foreclosures And we said, okay, yeah, this looks good. It's something that we want to continue doing. We both enjoyed teaching and decided, okay, but what do we want to do? Do we want to continue with the stuff that everybody else is doing, which is the foreclosures and the fixing and flipping and the wholesaling, because there was just a lot of noise out there from a lot of different people that had been doing it a lot longer than us. Mm -hmm. And George said, well, he had experience with apartment investing. Maybe we should start teaching apartments because back then there was only one other person that we had even heard about that was doing any type of apartment training. 
And we thought it would be a quick, a better step, a faster step to, to hit that avenue. So we did. We started putting together apartment classes. And way back then in 2004, I didn't have any experience in apartments. George did. So George put together our very first training class, which was three days. He probably spent, uh, I think he did like 90% of the entire presentation, the very first class that we did. And I did about 10% of it and learned again, that I love teaching and then learn more and more from George about apartment investing. And then we were also going out and doing our own deals. And at the same time, realized that our pockets were only so deep. So we needed another reason we continued the training was because we could bring in people that we had trained who could possibly be our investors. And we could, we could use that to get our investments going faster. Plus they could use it as a stepping stone to show their experience in being in other people's mm -hmm. deals so that they could then go out and do their own deals. Okay. So yeah. that's kind of how it morphed from the single family homes to apartments is because of my involvement with George. And George and I started teaching the classes. He decided in 2010, 2011, somewhere around there that he didn't want to travel that much anymore. So he just turned the whole thing over to me. And now he's gone on to do a lot of other things with financing and, and being your own bank and that kind of stuff. So George is awesome. And I've been doing it ever since then and have trained thousands of people on how to invest successfully in apartments. Awesome. So, so what's multifamily? What is it? Well, so multifamily know. technically is anything more than one unit. So a duplex is technically multifamily. A triplex, a fourplex are all multifamily. But I deal mostly in apartments. So apartments is when you cross over from four units to five units. And the main reason is the loans. Lenders consider four units and less. Generally, even though it's not a single family home, they consider it a single family home and it actually goes on your credit report because it is a consumer loan, a cons consumer debt. The reason I like apartments, which is five units and up, is because that's commercial debt, which means it doesn't go on my credit report. So if somebody goes out and checks my credit report, they're not going to see any apartments on my credit report simply because it's not consumer debt. It's a commercial loan. And so that's also another bonus to doing apartments. So I also, we also got into apartments just because it takes about the same amount of effort to do one single family home as it does a 50 unit apartment building. I mean, there's a little bit more time that goes into it, but it's not 50 times, right? If you think 50 times one unit, yeah, that's a lot of time, but it's not, it's maybe double. So the amount of time that you spend on a single family home, you might spend two to three times that amount to buy a 50, 100, 150 unit apartment complex. Wow. Wow. Amazing. So, so, so what, what makes someone like, how do you pick the neighborhoods? Like what, so you, you, now, you know, you want to go to multifamily, uh, you know, we hear A, B, C, D, do you, do you look into any of that? How, how do you go about that? Yeah, absolutely. We look at the, the quality of the neighborhoods because we don't want to buy in a war zone where people don't even want to go into that area because there's all kinds of reports of gunfire or shootings or drug deals or gang activity or something like that. We generally buy in the B to C class range. There's all kinds of things that we look at in those particular markets. We look at things like the crime rates. We look at the school district ratings. I'd like to see areas where the schools that are, are in that particular area in the five rating of five or higher, and that's on a scale of zero to 10, and there actually are ratings of zero. So I want to see schools that are rated at five or higher in that market. Mm -hmm. uh, I want to see a median household income of at least $45,000 because 
I want to make sure that the people that yeah. are living in my properties actually make enough money to pay the rent. Right. Of course. Right. That's, that's important. I also want to see where the rent is a minimum amount too, where I'm looking around 750 or $800 per month for median rent. And there are properties out there in the area when we started up that were in the 350, 400, $450 range. And we thought, well, that was, that was great because we could buy more units for less money because the income is lower. Therefore you pay a lower purchase price. Mm-hmm. And what we found out though, was that people that are only making, let's say $400 or paying $400 a month in rent, theoretically, in order to be able to qualify and afford that house on the for income, when a property manager is screening them, they only have to make three times income to rent. So $400 a month rent means they only have to make 1200 bucks. Well, you take a third of that or $400 out, that only leaves $800 left over for things like food, gas, clothing, cigarettes, whatever it is that they're looking to buy. Yep. And what we realized is that money doesn't go a long ways because they're they're still in the same area where a half a mile away, you could have a B-class property that's charging $1,200 a month rent. And now you go to a $1,200 a month apartment. And now in order to qualify for that, you have to make $3,600 a month rent. So at $3,600, you take $1,200 out, you got $2,400 left over. $2,400 compared to $800. And you're in the same neighborhood. That means you say that you pay the same amount for groceries, the same amount for gas, the same amount for everything, your cable, your phone service, everything. But you've got $2,400 to spend here or $800 to spend here. Who's going to have an easier time making rent? Interesting. Exactly. Absolutely. The person that's making more money and is actually spending more money on a monthly basis for their apartment unit. So we started with lower end stuff. We now look for Mm -hmm. higher end properties. So we're looking for a median rent, at least $750, $800 or more is preferred because that way we know people in that area, if they're able to pay $1,000 a month for rent, they're making at least $3,000 a month in income. So they're going to have more disposable money left over because if they don't, they'll just be struggling every single month to make the rent payment on time. Are you doing this like, like are you local? Do you just do this like, like where you live or do you do this nationwide? What, what do you recommend? I do it nationwide. As a matter of fact, I don't own any apartment buildings in Colorado, which is where I live. I live in Denver okay. and I've got single family homes and condos here, but I don't buy, I haven't been able to buy any apartments because the numbers just haven't worked out the last few years because Denver's been such a hot market that the prices are just going through the roof. And I've been hesitant to pull the trigger. It's a lot easier as well for me to pull the trigger in another market for a couple of reasons. One is because you can usually get better price points outside of the Denver area. And number two, I usually, in a lot of cases, I'm partnering with some of my students and the students are there to manage the day-to-day operations because it's in their backyard, Got it. which frees awesome. me up. So I don't have to be spending all the time managing every single property that I own. Let's take a brief break, hear a word from our sponsors. And then when we come back, Anthony, we're going to talk about, you know, one of your first major acquisitions. You know, what did you, what did you look for? I know we talked about, you know, the crime rate, household income, everything like that, but Where were you at psychologically when you were ready to pull the trigger on that first major acquisition? So when we come back, we'll be back with Anthony Chara here in one moment. Are your real estate dreams on hold? With work, kids, everything else going on, time is limited. Most days you feel like the world's on your shoulders. You might even say to yourself, 
If I just had someone to lean on and push me in the right direction, I know things would happen quicker. Well, then you need to check out the Deal Finders Club, a community of investors eager to close more deals, sign more contracts, and just get ahead in life. The DFC provides weekly coaching, thriving online community, and all the education you need to be confident. DFC is your fastest path to closing more deals. To learn more, head over to azdfc.com. That's azdfc.com. All right, Azria family members and friends, we are back with Anthony Chara, and we're talking about multifamily investing. And right now, Anthony, so you started out with the single families, and then you pivoted to doing multifamily. You had a mentor and a partner that showed you how to do that. But still, you know, there's some some unknown factors. So how was it? What was your psychology when you made that first major acquisition for, for that huge multifamily? Well, I was ready to go and look for something bigger. And being partnered up with George was made it very simple because he already had that experience where I didn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but he didn't have a lot of experience. He had definitely had more than me, but not as much as some of the people that we ended up partnering with. And, and here's what I mean by that. It, it's one thing if you just jump out and you decide that you're just going to start investing in apartments. But if you've never done it before, you may have a couple of hurdles to overcome. Number one, do you have enough money to do it yourself? And if you do, that's great. But number two, there are some lenders that if you don't have the experience, even though you have the money available, they still may not loan you any money to buy a large apartment complex. And since George and I were, you know, George, like I said, George was seasoned, but I had no experience. We were okay. And and one of the ways that we got our start was by partnering with other people that did have that experience. So the first couple of deals that we did, we actually partnered with someone else who already had the deal. And what we did is we created, we didn't know what was called this at the time, but we created something called the fund of funds where we raise money from our investors to invest in somebody else's investment. Mm. So they were raising money themselves for their own deals. And then we came in with a group of investors that invested in that particular project. And we basically went on their coattails. So as they were doing their deal, we were following right along with them and became an integral part of that process. So that after we did, I think three or four of those, now we were at the point where we could go out and do our own deals and we could show our investors, hey, here's three or four deals that we've been a part of. Here's how we've been involved in those deals. Now we're going out on our own and we've been able to raise millions and millions of dollars going forward to to get that done. Love it. So what was that called? Fund to fund? Fund of funds. Fund of funds. It's called a fund of funds. Yeah, it's one way that you can syndicate money is instead of you going out and doing your deal, you create a fund to invest in someone else's fund who already has the experience and the property and everything in place to move forward. I'm assuming you you teach all this. Well, I I talk about it. It's not something I necessarily teach in my class, but I can teach on it if people ask me those questions either on a break, because I I mean, you guys are aware I do a four-day boot camp. It's, it's crammed with ba- just the basic information about how to analyze and buy an apartment building Correct. and all the stuff that some of the stuff that I just mentioned about raising money in the fund of funds and things like that. I talk a little bit about it in the financing section of my class, but there's so much more stuff into it. There, there's another day or two or three of information that you could go into just on raising money. Yeah. So you'll go down the path of how to leverage and raise money for your deals, not so much the tactical each program is that where 
Correct. We, we do talk about leveraging the funds and getting a loan with an actual lender, but I do talk a little bit about if you don't have the, let's say a million dollars for down payment and closing costs. So you get a three, $4 million loan from a bank, but you don't have a million dollars for the down payment and closing costs. How do you get that? And I do talk okay. a little bit about that, but we don't have time to go into the intricate details of, like you said, the fund to funds yeah. and the legal aspect of how do you create the paperwork? And what I do is I recommend that you get a really good SEC, a Securities and Exchange Commission attorney. They can yep. step people through that. There's, I mean, we do have a class on how to structure deals, which is an extra two days. There are other people out there that teach about raising money and do a very, very good job at it. So I can recommend some of those as well. Awesome. I mean, that's, 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 I'm sorry, go ahead, Mike. No, no, I just want to hear more about the deal. Go back to the, that, that first deal you brought up. There we go. That's where I was headed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, so the first deal was found by a couple of my students. They had a, a founded gentleman in Shreveport. And the one student was buying single family homes and he was looking to buy a portfolio from this one person. And he said that they went out, I don't remember if it was golfing or fishing or something, but they were spending the day together. And the guy was just grilling him on what he was doing and why he was doing it. And he said, at the end of the day, the guy turned to him and said, well, why are you buying single family homes? You should be buying an apartment complex. And he's like, well, that's interesting because he had just taken the course that George and I had. So he said, well, we happen to have one. It was 98 units. And they were looking for somebody to partner with them because they were going to fix it up. They were going to refinance it. And then when they refinanced it, they were literally looking just to take a million dollars out and then give the property to the, the person or people that partner with them. So we thought, well, this sounds like a great idea. He brought it to me and George. George and I looked at it. It looked great. We need to raise $300,000 to partner with them. And so we started going out and talking to SEC attorneys. This is where we found out that it was going to be very expensive, like twenty-five dollars to $30,000 to do what's called a private placement memorandum to raise $300,000. We thought, well, that's ridiculous. Why, raise, why, why come up with $30,000 to only raise $300,000? Mm -hmm. So we asked around because we didn't know what we didn't know and said, look, is there a way that we can do this? And it's not that expensive, but at the same time, stay out of trouble with the SEC so that we don't get thrown in jail or fined because we're raising money the wrong way. And the, we actually found an attorney who said, well, yes, there is a way you can do it. And I think it ended up costing us like 2000 or 2500 And that was um, if we had a small raise, which it was, it was only $300,000. If we had a limited number of people, and I think we ended up with six people investing. And, but the caveat was you had to keep everybody actively involved okay. in the deal. Okay. And we said, okay, great. How do we keep them actively involved? What does that mean? And the attorney said, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, what do you mean you don't know? She said, well, the SEC guidelines says that the investors just have to be act actively involved, but the guidelines don't say what actively involved means. So you literally have to make it up as you go and just try and keep people active. Okay. So we started, we had monthly webinars. To, uh, actually, back then it wasn't even webinars. Back then it was conference calls. Mm -hmm. So we had a monthly conference call. We invited all the webinars to it on a monthly basis. We invited the property manager. We talked about what was happening at the property, what was going on with the income, the expenses, the vacancy, what was the manager doing to increase rent, increase occupancy, increase NOI to, for us on the property and for the investors. 
and just tried to keep them involved and invited them into as many meetings as possible. If we needed to, let's say we wanted to change rubbish companies, we could pick one of the people and say, hey, could you go out and do some work and, and contact awesome. different rubbish companies to see if we could save some money or get a better coverage or better, you know, more pickups or something. Okay. And so by them making those phone calls, in our opinion, that kept them actively involved as opposed to just being somebody on the sideline as a passive investor. And so that helped cool. us get around our first three or four deals. And then after that, we got up to a high enough point that we were able, we were raising more money and doing bigger deals. So we put that on the back burner and actually now start doing the PPMs, the private mm -hmm. placement memorandums. Mm -hmm. At the same time, we also found an SEC attorney who wasn't charging $25,000 or $30,000 for cookie cutter material so that we could use it again and again and again. We found a lady who was doing it for only $10,000. So that made the transition a lot easier as well. So it was, so it was 90 units. It, the first one was 98 units. Wow. That's wow. great. And it's okay. so like multiple parties, right? So you had six investors that you, you, you and George, the person that found the deal, was it? Yeah, there were two students. There were two students that had partnered together. So there were the two students. And then there were, I think, five or six investors that came in on that particular one. So on that one that we did, the first one, neither me, George, or the two students put any money into the deal, except the two students did pay the real estate attorney $2,000 total, so $1,000 each in order to do the deal and for the attorney to create the, the operating agreement to put the whole thing together, and that was it. Wow. So we were able to find investors who believed in us, they believed in the deal, and gave us $300,000 to move forward with it. So did you ever look at single family again? The same? No, I still, I still, I still invest <laughs> in single family. There's reasons to hold yeah. single family. Uh, okay. So we still, my wife and I still have, I think eight or nine single family homes and condos, but most of what we have now is apartments, but we've even branched out from there. At one point we raised money for a casino. We raised money for a, a hotel project down in the country of Belize. Wow. We also have an agricultural investment down in the country of Paraguay. So yeah, there's all kinds of stuff that we've been raising millions and millions of dollars to, to take down over the last 10, 12 years. That's great, man. Yeah. One, one of the common things that I'm hearing throughout this conversation, Anthony, that you're saying is you just ask questions. What you didn't know, you ask questions, you got around the right people and asked those questions. Like you said, with the attorneys, you didn't know what you didn't know. So you just start picking up the phone and asking questions and you were able to problem solve your way to closing this transaction. So guys, you all that's listening, remember, never feel slighted, you know, or feel incompetent when you ask a question, because by asking those questions, it leads you down the funnel to getting where you need to go. And it led Anthony down to closing this transaction, which is his first apartment complex, you know, that led him along this journey to where he is right now. Yeah, man. So so at Isria, right, we're predominantly single family, right? Small multifamily, but there's, you know, some of our single family members have lots of houses, right? So what's, what do you say to the, you know, what experienced or new investor that's comfortable with single family or think they need to start at single family? What's the benefit? Like what, what, what has your experience been with multifamily, like reaching your goals and your lifestyle and so on? Yeah, I'll tell you, I wish I had actually started with multifamily because okay. I did what most people do. I, it wasn't even it wasn't even on my radar. I wasn't even thinking about apartments back yep. then. It wasn't even that close. So for me, it was it was in, 
the a normal transition just or it wasn't even a transition it was just all I knew was buy single family homes right it wasn't until I went to some of the Robert Allen classes that all of a sudden I realized holy crap I could buy an apartment complex Mm-hmm. And started doing that. And of course, George also helped expand those, those thought processes because it's about thinking big. For the same time and effort that it takes you to buy a single family home, you could buy a 10 unit, 20 unit, a little more time, you could buy a 50 unit. Or so it, it can be a little more, I don't want to say necessarily frustrating, but nerve wracking. Because if you're yeah. trying to raise $2 million to buy this property and you're like, oh, where's the money coming from? We don't have any of our money lined up ahead of time. We just know if we have a good deal, the money will find us. So we have an investor list that we've been building up over the years. Go back, Anthony. Say that again. Say that again. (laughs) If you find a good deal, the money will follow. Okay, there you go. So everybody, you hear that. Yeah, if you find a good deal, the money will follow. Now, here's the caveat, though, because I actually had this conversation with a couple women Years ago at a real estate event here in Denver, they came up to me and they said, hey, we got this great opportunity. It's a $500,000 house and we'll wholesale it to you for $450,000. And I said, Ooh, yeah, it's exactly. Woo-hoo. I said, oh, wow. that, that's that. If anybody's listening as a wholesaler, you know, that's not a deal. It's only a 10% discount. You're looking right. for 20, 25, 30 or 20, 30, 35, 40, 50% discount on a wholesale deal. I said, well, that's not a deal. And one of the ladies actually said, well, we don't get it. Our mentor said, if we find a great deal, the money will follow. And I said, Mm. keep in mind, who determines whether or not it's a good deal? Fire. The person with the money. Yep. Yep. So uh, to them, it was a good deal. But see, they they were going about it the wrong way. What they should have been doing is trying to find a retail buyer who wanted to buy a home that they were going to live in themselves for 10% off. What they were doing is telling everybody it was a wholesale deal at a 10% discount and wholesalers aren't trained to look at a 10% discount as a deal. They want a 30, 35, 40% Mm -hmm. discount Mm -hmm. because they realize they're going to have to go in and do work to it, fix it up, increase the value, and then make a profit on the back end when they sell it. And right, right, you realize it on the front when you buy it, but the profit is actually achieved when you sell it on the back end. And they didn't get that part. So I tried to explain it to them that ultimately the whether or not it's a deal is based on what the person who has the money thinks about it. So Absolutely. Good point. that's what they didn't think of. So to me, what I've learned over the years is if I think I've got a good deal, I'm, I think I know my investors fairly well that if I go out and start talking to them and saying, hey, here's a deal, here's how we're going to make money. We've got cash flow coming in. We've got these tax benefits. We've got the appreciation that's going to come in from the market and what's going on with increasing rental rates. And we're going to lower the vacancy and the, we're going to pay down the mortgage this amount every single month. And all of a sudden you look at a deal that looks fairly thin just based on cash flow, and you start adding in all those other things. And the next thing you know, this is where the wealth is created from the equity buildup of paying down the loan, the appreciation mm-hmm. because of rising mm-hmm. Uh, rental rates that are going up 5, 10, 15% in a lot of markets around the country, including Arizona. Yep. Mm-hmm. And that's where a lot of that wealth comes in, especially with, with uh, what's happening with uh, inflation. A lot of people right now are sitting on the sideline thinking, oh, inflation, I don't want to get into a, a, buy a house or an apartment complex because inflation is out of control. It's like, no, you don't get it. If we're in a high inflationary time, you need to buy and own real assets. Mm-hmm. And homes and apartments are real assets. Precious metals are real assets. 
Yeah, so you can capitalize on that inflation. Exactly. If you're just going to let your money sit in an account and wait for the market to turn, right now inflation is about eight percent a year, which means every year you're losing your eight, your your money's losing eight percent purchasing power every year while it's sitting in a savings account. Now it doesn't mean you shouldn't have money in a savings account either, right? You have to have money over there in case an emergency comes up. Mm-hmm. But if you have money that's sitting on the sideline that you that you want to use for an investment but you're not because you're waiting for the market to change. Yeah. Well, it, it goes, it goes, well, another part of that is that's a problem for pe- not just you, the operator, but the there's people out there with that money sitting there, not knowing what to do with it. And that's how you can help them and get the funds for Absolutely. your deal. So, so since we're talking, we talk a lot about like, you know, borrowing money, commercial loans. And when Marcus brought up, you were creative on your very first single family. What has your experience been with multifamily and creative opportunities, seller carrybacks, subject twos? Do you find those since they're bigger deals that they may come along quite often or, or have you done those? Yeah, they, well, my students have, so I've done them on single family homes and I've taught my students how to do them because you can do those creative deals on apartments as well. Mm-hmm. With the larger projects, generally, you're not going to get any type of creative financing where the seller's interested in carrying back any type of money or, or doing uh, like something like a master lease option. But on yep. the medians, medium to smaller size apartment buildings, especially if they're mom and pop operations, if they're in a smaller market where it might be difficult to get a loan in the first place, they might be more interested in doing that because they probably struggled to get a loan on the property if they got a loan at all. And if they really want to sell the property, one of the options that they have to them is doing some type of creative financing and helping you do that creative financing. So I've had a couple of students who have actually got, been able to, to convince their sellers to do zero interest seller financing on wow. a couple of different projects. Love so I, I'm real happy about that. So it does yeah. happen, but it's it's not going to happen it, to me from what I've seen. It doesn't happen as much as it, it has with single family homes, but it is. You can have sellers do seller, sorry, but it can happen. You've got sellers that are willing to do seller carry back. You've got sellers that are willing to do something called a master lease option, which for your listeners, if you've ever done a lease option, it's the same exact thing as a lease option, mm-hmm. but it's called a master lease because instead of having one lease for one property, you have one master lease for all of the units. So if it's a hundred unit apartment building, right, you have one master lease that allows you to lease the entire hundred unit property from the owner. And then you get in there and you now control everything. And you have an option, a separate document that is an option that allows you to buy it at a preset price at some point in the future. I love okay. that, man. I had a, a buddy that, that did about 150 units in San Diego like that. Just master lead. The, the leverage of that strategy is amazing. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, you teach that as well? I do. Yeah. Uh, I teach master lead for that one. <laughs> <laughs> so, Anthony, let's take our last and final break. And when we come back, we want to talk to you about how can we learn some of this information from you. And we want to have Mike give the dates of you know, when you'll be here in town where you can show us all of this great information so we can get out there and start buying thousands of units from your techniques and your strategy. So let's have our final break. And when we come back, we'll talk to Anthony about how we can learn some of this information from him. Do you need to close more deals? The answer is, then you need to call more motivated sellers. How do you do this? Skip tracing. 
Skip Tracing gives you the access to the telephone numbers and email addresses of distressed property owners all across the country. Whether you're looking for vacant houses, foreclosed houses, tax delinquent properties, Skip Tracing can help you get in touch with those hard to find homeowners so you can write those offers. We recommend BatchSkipTracing.com. Batch Skip Tracing has consistently delivered the highest quality results in the real estate industry. You simply upload your leads to BatchSkipTracing.com, apply coupon code ASREA, that's A-Z-R-E-I-A, at checkout, and receive 15 cent skip traces. That's BatchSkipTracing.com, apply coupon code ASREA at checkout for 15 cent skip traces. All right, guys, we are back with our executive director, Mike Delpreet and Anthony Chara, and we have some very special events and details we want to give you guys so you can learn a lot of this information that Anthony has. And I'm going to be one of those right in the seats, listening and learning also. Mm-hmm. So you guys kind of kind of share with us what we're going to be learning, what Azria is going to be presenting. Yeah, everyone listening, as you know, it, meeting week, second Monday of the month, every month we have our Phoenix monthly meeting. And then the second Tuesday of every month, we drive down to Tucson, do the same thing, right? So then this upcoming event, September 12th, Monday, September 12th, Anthony's coming to town. He's going to spend three days with us here in Phoenix. So come to the Phoenix meeting, Sunday, or excuse me, Monday, September 12th, right? Come for the trade show, come for the networking, the market update and Anthony. And then the next day, Tuesday, September 13th, we're going to drive down to Tucson and do the same thing. So Anthony, can you guys give us just a, a brief idea of like on the education piece on those two days, what, what will our members learn? Or what will they take away from hanging out with you? Yeah, Monday and Tuesday night is going to be a almost like an introductory to apartment investing, multifamily investing, slash commercial investing, if you will, on why you guys should be considering adding apartments and commercial property to your portfolio. And I'm not even suggesting that you stop investing in single family homes. As I mentioned earlier, I still have single family homes and condos because there are advantages to having both within your investment portfolio. So I'm going to talk a little bit about apartments and how they're valued and why you should consider adding those to your portfolio right now. But I'm also going to start at the beginning of the meeting and I'm going to talk a little bit about what's happening like a Monday night. I'll be talking about what's going on right now in the Phoenix multifamily market or apartment market. And Tuesday night, I'll specifically be talking about what's happening in the Tucson market regarding investing. So what's happening with things like job growth, population growth cap rates, development that's going on, how many units are coming online, how many units are going to be absorbed to give wow. you an idea of what's actually happening within those markets. Love it, man. A lot of, a lot of great information there. So then what we always do, if you want to get to know Anthony even a little bit better, Wednesday the 14th at our office in Central Phoenix, we, we do what's called a drill down. So from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m., you're going to hang out with us. Do you have a specific topic that you're going to talk about at the drill down? Yeah. So what we're going to do on Wednesday is I want your members to actually come with live deals. So I want them to go find a deal. It can be anywhere in the country. It can be in Phoenix and Tucson, anywhere in Arizona, anywhere coast to coast and bring it to the meeting. Because then what I'll do is I'll put my, what I call my quick analysis software up on the the wall or the screen. And we'll actually go through and kind of analyze a couple of deals uh, to start that training process to show people right now that you got a little bit of information on Monday and Tuesday, here's a little bit more information on how a deal might look and some of the numbers that I look for on my analysis to see whether or not I want to pull the trigger and put in an offer on the deal. 
So do we need to bring fancy calculators and all this stuff? Or what, are you providing anything to Just, help us analyze these deals? Uh, bring a notepad, bring a pen or a pencil, bring your calculator. And some of you, I don't know if you knew this, Mike, but did you know you can now make a phone call on your calculator? No, you guys stumped me there, man. <laughs> it's amazing. I, I've got my I got my calculator right here. Oh, oh, got it, got it, got it, got it. Got it. Oh, okay. got it. All right, all right. You can make a you Love can it. make a phone call you on me. your calculator. All you right, so me. yeah, just bring your calculators. You don't need anything special. We'll have the the software up on the board so everybody can watch it. Okay. Uh, and let's see, there was one other thing I was going to talk about. Oh, also, just so keep in mind, this isn't for people who only bring deals. If you don't have a deal or you don't, you can't find a deal, you can, you should still come because somebody will have a deal or a couple people will have deals that we can look at. You'll still learn from that process. So please plan on joining us on, on Wednesday night, the 14th as well. So live deal breakdown on the 14th at the drill down. Then we're going to take a break, right? Then you're, you're going to come back September 24th, which is Saturday back to the office here in Phoenix and we're going to do a full day. So how to grow wealth with apartment buildings. So what goes on Saturday? So yeah, 10 days later on Saturday, the 24th, it is, we basically start with the basics and we get into, we drill down even further into what does cap rate mean and how is it calculated and how is it changed with the purchase price and the income that the properties generate? Why is that important to know what cap rate is? We talk about things like the vacancy rate and things, the difference between the physical vacancy rate and something called the economic vacancy rate. Got it. We talk about all the expenses that you should be incurring, the things that sometimes where people get into issues is the the seller gives them a number and says, this is how much we're spending on operating expenses. But when you start breaking it down and looking at all the things that should be in there, you find out that there's, oh, there's something missing. Well, one of the big things that's usually missing on a small apartment complex is the management expense, right? It's owner managed, so there's no management expense. So they don't deduct that as an expense. Well, if they don't deduct that, then their NOI, net operating income will be artificially high, which means they're gonna overpay for the property, which I don't know about you guys, but I don't like overpaying for properties. So it's it's about, you don't know what you don't know. So if you come on out, we kind of teach you those things. We also talk about some of the loans that are available and how a lender will look at your deal to determine whether or not they want to loan you money on the deal and at what rates based on what what they're seeing with the numbers. And so So we'll go through all that. So it sounds like for you know a few days with you, you're going to know how to buy multifamily. <laughs> yeah, a, a pretty good idea pretty how to do it. But you, you'd be surprised, even with all the content that's going to be out there for the four days that I'm going to be there, uh-huh. they, we're, just, we're still just skimming the surface of what you really need to know in order to get into apartments without losing your shirt. So Love it. Love it. So September 12th, Phoenix, September 13th, Tucson. September 14th, drill down, September 24th, all day Saturday class. Then I think in a few months after that, are you planning something else coming out here in Phoenix? Is it? I, I am. Yeah. As I, mentioned, okay. as I mentioned, we're just after four days, we're still just skimming the surface. So I am going to be coming back on in November, November 10th through the 13th for a four day boot camp. Cool. And this is where we get into, we drill down even further into the nitty gritty of what I call the seven steps of buying any property, even apartments, single family homes, office buildings, mobile home parks, 
storage facilities, you have to go through the seven steps. First, the first step is, of course, locating the market. What market do you want to buy in? And then along with locating the market, locating the properties and the people that you need to talk to in that market. Then we go into analysis, uh, analyzing the deal, making the offer up to the due diligence, the financing, negotiations, all the way through to the closing table. So there's Great. a lot of stuff that I teach in that class that even at the end, if people decide, you know, this is great and I learned a ton, but I, I still want to do single family homes. Well, first off, I would recommend that you add apartments. Don't stop doing single family homes, but add multifamilies. Uh, yep. It's not like I mentioned, it's not that much more to go from buying one single family home to a 10 or 20 unit apartment building or even a 50 unit apartment building. And you'll multiple, multiply your wealth that much faster. But there's a lot of stuff that people are going to learn that they can utilize in if they still continue with their single family home investing that they're probably not doing now because they just know, well, the comparable says it's worth 300,000 and they're selling it for 290 must be a deal buy it mm. because they're <laughs> buying it at a slight discount. There's so much more that goes into your deals. And, and one of the big things that I talk about is it, it the different classes is specifically with the management. You know, I talked about a lot of smaller buildings where that management fee is not included in the operating expenses for the property because it's owner managed. And a lot of people think, well, I'll just manage my own property. There's probably a lot of people watching right now that manage all their own single family homes. But to me, this is about investing. And if yeah. you think about it, if, if you invest in the stock market, how many people bought a stock and then the next day went to that company and applied for a job so they could get hired on at the company and then watch the management team to make sure that they were taking care of their money correctly. Mm -hmm. right? You don't do that, right? Because yeah. they're an investor. Well, it's the same thing with real estate. If you're a real estate investor, then to me, you shouldn't be going out and, and cleaning the home and painting it and cleaning, clearing stuff out and showing the unit to renters and taking applications. That's a job. So for me, it, it was an easier transition to go from a single family home to a large apartment complex, because now I know I'm not going to have the time to do it. I have to hire somebody. And as we step through that on Saturday, and again, through the four day boot camp, you're going to know that the numbers, this is true real estate investing, because the numbers have to afford all of your expenses, including the manager, your maintenance, your repairs, your taxes, your insurance, and everything else. And if it doesn't, you don't buy the deal. You walk True. away. True. True. It's okay to walk away. It is okay to walk away. All right. You heard okay. it from Anthony Chara. Wrap us up, Marcus. Do your so, thing. So, guys, you, you heard all of the dates. You got all of the information. You heard from Anthony Chara. You heard from Mike. I'm going to be there, so you guys be there. Remember, September 12th, 13th, 14th, 24th, and November 10th through the 13th, if you want to learn about multifamily, investing you gotta be there you gotta hear from anthony anthony i appreciate you thank you so much for jumping on yep. and educating the asria family and the great state of arizona on multifamily thanks Love it. thank you for being we'll yep. see thanks, you in marcus. a couple weeks thanks. man thanks marcus thanks mike and we'll yeah we'll see all you guys on september 12 13 14th and 24th you got all it. right thanks sounds again. good Thank you. You guys know what to do. Get out there, take massive action, and we will see you at the next Azria event. Thanks for listening to the Azria Show with your hosts, Marcus Maloney and Mike Delpreet. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you found this information valuable, head over to azria.org and learn more about our community.